Good to see you. Something happened? Oh, I, th- I thought I heard a pop. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning and welcome online. I know we have several families traveling today. Um, a couple people sick. We're praying for you. A couple of people um, watching from home. They've been online almost all of 2020. And uh, gosh, we just miss you so much, but we love you. Um, and I'm excited to be here uh, this morning. And I want to continue this series that we're in called Binge Reading the Bible. Today is part seven. Now, we're heading into Christmas. And um, as we know, the four weeks prior to Christmas is Advent. I'm not really preaching on Advent, but it's interesting to note that today's topic as well as next week's topic does tie into Advent, so we're going to get there on some level. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and bow your head. Let's pray and open with the word today. Father, we just come before you. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing among us. God, I thank you for all the rappers that are rapping and going to keep these kids occupied, and you're going to help me stay focused in the midst of it. God, help me to stay on target. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to the hearts of your people today. Do whatever it is that uh, you have on your agenda for our life today. God, dig up old memories. Dig up new hopes. Dig up all the things that you want to do so that we can do business with you today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. I'm so glad to see all of you guys. So Advent, just so that you know, is a season of the year observed by most Christian denominations as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both Christmas, um, but also for the second coming of Jesus. In Advent, we are expecting the Lord's return, um, not just for December 25th that we celebrate, right, when he came as a child, but there's coming a day when Jesus will return again to planet Earth to receive his own, the bride of Christ, the body of believers who, are, who have placed their faith in him. And so that's part of Advent. And during this series, we've talked about uh, several books of the Bible, I guess groups of books. And um, we started out in Genesis, and that was the Pentateuch. How many of you were here for the Pentateuch sermon either on campus or watching online. Okay, a lot of you were here for Pentateuch. That was good. Then we moved into history. Then we talked about poetry and wisdom. Then we talked about the prophets. Then we jumped into the New Testament where it got a little dicey for a couple of Sundays there. And I talked about the Gospels. And we broke that down, what the, uh, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. So we had a little bit of lecture time and Bible college all wrapped up into one. Then last week, I talked to you about Acts, the book of Acts that is a transitional book, and we see how the gospel flows from the apostles' doctrine while we go to kingdom, then the apostles' doctrine, then to the gospel of grace. I went way over time last week, so my goal today is to stay under time to make up for last week. But today, we're going to talk about the epistles the epistles. Everybody say epistles. Epistles is different than apostles. The apostles were people who wrote the epistles. Epistle basically just means it's a letter. And so we see um, 
after the Gospels, after Acts, which is a history book, we then head into Romans, and Romans through Jude, so the entire New Testament, give or take, uh, the Gospels, and then the apocalyptic book at the end, Revelation. These are all epistles, meaning um, they are letters written to different churches and individuals, and in these letters, early churches or early church leaders taught how we are to live as Christian and the theological framework for Christ's work. These books also give pastoral guidance, and this section of the Bible is important because it showcases the issues people dealt with after the resurrection. So that's you and I. We're currently after, thank you, Chad. We're currently after the resurrection. Um, so it deals with the issues that you and I are dealing with in day-to-day -day living, as well as the importance of our future hope. Okay, let me say that again. So we can zero in on the purpose of all of these books from Romans to Jude. The purpose of the epistles is so that you and I have a framework for Christian living post-resurrection. After resurrection, we have a framework for Christian living as well as the importance of our future hope. Now, what is our future hope? I'm glad you asked that question. That's an important question to ask. Our future hope isn't if HEB is going to have bread on the shelves tomorrow. Our future hope isn't if Sam's is going to have toilet paper on the shelves tomorrow. Our future hope is not if we have a job. Our future hope is not if she says yes. Our future hope is not if we conceive. Our future hope is very clearly defined in Titus 2.13 that we are looking for the blessed hope, the glorious returning, appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is our hope? The appearing of Jesus Christ. Are you with me, church? So our hope is not in earthly things, physical things. Our hope is that we have a promise that one day, and I believe very soon, Jesus is going to return. That is our hope. And so while we're locked up on quarantine or while we're working from home, while we're trying to teach our own kids, while teach other kids, you know, all of the things that, that we're going through right now collectively as, as a people, not just a nation, as a world, we have a future hope. And that future hope is the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, and I'm hopefully over the last few weeks, I've laid the foundation of the importance of a Bible. I, I really value my Bibles. Um, I have a, a nifty little cover, and I've got highlighters, and I've got post-it notes, and I've got index cards and pens. It's sitting over there. I showed you last week my old Bible that got recovered, and it's goat skin, and it's absolutely beautiful. I'm not preaching from it today. I, there's something about holding a physical Bible. Now, I love my, my Bible app, okay? So I'm not dissing technology. I'm not one of those people that say, young people nowadays, they don't, they just use technology. That's not what I'm doing. I'm only saying that there could come a time where technology doesn't work for you, right? Either you can't pay the bill or there's no electricity. 
<laughs> we should be familiar and understand how to navigate through the Word of God. I really value uh, bringing our Bibles, especially to church, because it's almost like you just prepared for this moment to sit down with the Word, you know? So if you didn't bring your Bible today, that's all right, maybe next week. But while you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because I want to do some teaching today on what I believe is the overall theme and thread of the epistles. And this is one reason why a tangible Bible is good, because I'm going to actually take you back a chapter that's not on the screens, and, and I want you to see something. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1. Um, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. The topic... I would just to read that one verse. Though I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm like a tambourine played off beat. If I were just to read that verse to you, what would you say is the theme of the epistles? Love. Love. If I don't have love, everything else is like a broken tambourine. You ever heard of broken tambourine? See, this generation doesn't know what a tambourine offbeat sounds like, and, and it shows. I, I understand. I grew up in the days when everybody thought they were on the worship team, and they brought their tambourines to church, and sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, they played the tambourine, and some of them whipped their kids with the tambourine during a worship song. You know what I mean? I remember those days. I am a tambourine baby, so much so that one time I got a tambourine stuck on my head and my parents had to take me to a fire department to have it cut off. That's true. It's true. I know tambourines, so I understand thoroughly what the apostle is saying if he says, when I don't have love, it's like a bad tambourine. So, we're going to talk about and read together chapter 13, but here's what I want to do. I want to back up a chapter to chapter 12. So turn the page and look at chapter 12, and just from glancing at the headlines, you can see that Paul is talking here about spiritual gifts. So in chapter 12, he talks about unity and diversity, unity and diversity within one body. He talks about some of us are apostles, teachers, prophets, some work miracles, some have healing. He talks about all of these things. But then the very final verse of chapter 12, Paul says something interesting. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. This is the final verse of chapter 12 before I get into my real text of 13. But listen, when they had original manuscripts, they didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. So chapter 12, verse 31, the last verse in that chapter goes with chapter 13. And I'm going to prove that to you. Okay, so 1231 on the screen says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, because why? We were just talking about gifts. Paul was just talking about gifts in chapter 12. We, we scanned the chapter and saw that. He says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, Next. Okay, so let me read it from my Bible. 
earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So if you have your Bibles, this is a good reason to bring your Bible because the slides aren't always correct. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So Paul is saying, here are all of the gifts. They're wonderful. They're, they're shiny. They're fantastic. But I want to show you a more excellent way. Now we can use our brains to go ahead and project what is the more excellent way. Turn to chapter 13, verse 1. What is it? Love. Love is a more excellent way. In other words, it doesn't matter if you prophesy. It doesn't matter if you heal people. It doesn't matter if you have all of these gifts. It doesn't matter how educated you are, how pretty you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The most excellent way is love. Love. Now, in our talk through Acts, I compared to you Paul and Peter. Do you remember this? They came bringing different Gospels, and then by the end of Acts, they're on the same page. Do you remember me talking about that? Because of that, I want to show you what Paul and Peter say about this topic of love. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So Paul says, Above all things, put on love. It is the bond of perfect unity. So Paul says it's the most important thing. What does Peter have to say? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Let's read that out loud together, okay? I want to break this down for you, but I want, I want you to understand and hear me this morning. Let's read. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Let's, let's start over. Let's all read on the screen, if you can see it. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. All right, I want to break that down in the Greek for us, because... I want you to fully understand what Peter has to say about love. He says, above all things. So just like Paul, Peter says this is, this is the, the top priority that we should focus on, right? Above all things, have fervent love. What is fervent love? Love, love, love. Lots of love. Fervent in the Greek is ektenes, ektenes. And that means without ceasing, to stretch and extend. Yeah, to stretch. You ever, you know, you wake up in the morning, there's nothing like a good stretch, that first stretch of the day, right? Fervent love is love, 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 right? Stretching, extending beyond your capacity to love, then you really know what love is. If you're loving someone within the ability of Trey to love, within the ability of Addison to love, within the ability of Ryan to love, you're not really loving until it becomes without ceasing and stretching beyond your human limitation to love. 
Love will cover a multitude of sins. The word cover there, cover a multitude of sin. I know the problem is when you hear that the sermon's on love, you automatically shift it off. You know why? Because we're desensitized to love. We love him, we love her, we love chocolate, we love lasagna, we love sleeping in, we love Saturdays, we love Fridays. We, do you know what I mean? We use love so much um, that we just consider this is another, just one thing to love. I've got so much love going on. You know, love is probably the number one topic in pop culture with all of our music, right? Almost every song is about love. It's, it's typically about quantity. I need more love. I want this kind of love. I want you to love me. How can I get you to love me? It's about quantity. But God, when he talks about love, he talks about quality. There's a difference. You see, culture has taken the word love and replaced it with a word called tolerance. Because we don't understand, we don't differentiate between agape, agape love, the love that is birthed through the throne room of heaven in our life. And instead, we just say, well, if I just embrace everybody, if I just love everybody, if I just tolerate whatever it is that you say you want to think, do, be, feel, and act, that's love, but that's not actually biblical love. That's why when I bring to you a biblical love sermon, it's boring. Same thing that happened at the feast, Jesus' first miracle. The people got so full of bad wine that when the good wine came along, they didn't really recognize it. They were shocked. The world is trying to inundate us with this false narrative of love. This thing that will satisfy. This self-love. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. Now this is, this is not a sermon of hellfire and brimstone. I'm not trying to reshape culture. I'm needing you to wake up. To realize that we, as a culture, have feasted on false narratives for so long that the authentic taste awkward. Peter says, love will cover a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that we overlook everything because we love people. All right? Can I teach you what this really means? It's pretty exciting, actually. When you go to the Greek, the word cover is from two Greek words. The first is klepto. Anyone familiar with a the term kleptomaniac. You ever heard that word? Kleptomaniac? Where, where you steal? Chad's like, I, I didn't do it. I, don't, I didn't do it. Why is he making eye contact with me? I, I didn't steal anything. Klepto, this is the word klepto for cover a multitude of sins. Klepto is where we get our word kleptomaniac. But also the other one is krupto, krupto, which means to cover, to hide. So when it says that love covers a multitude of sins, it says love robs and hides the spoils of sin. Love steals 
and covers the spoils of offense. Love, as the Apostle Paul would tell us, the love of Christ constrains us. Therefore, when we're walking in true love, it steals the effect of sin in our life. That's pretty exciting. When we're walking in true love, it steals the working of offense because that word sin covers a multitude of sin can also be translated offense. Offended much? If you're offended much, you're not walking in love. Because if you're walking in love, it steals the harvest of offense at work in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, shall we start our chapter? Verse 1, I want to break it down for you today. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I speak in the tongues of men, let's start there. The Apostle Paul was very educated. He is one of the most notable rabbis of all-time history. So when he says, if I speak with the tongues of men, he's, it's like a double entendre. He's saying two things. He's saying, first of all, I know a lot of languages. I, I know more languages than you do. Paul is... Um, notorious for speaking Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, like he's a learned man, right? And he's saying, even if I speak all of these languages, even if I'm affluent, but I don't have love, I have nothing. On the flip side of that, he's also saying, even if I speak in the tongues of men, if I have a gift of speaking in tongues, right? We, we saw this come in Acts chapter 2, there is a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that resulted in speaking in tongues. There is a gift that is manifest throughout the history of the church. Um, but we find that in Corinth, the people of Corinth overvalued speaking in tongues. We know that from 1 Corinthians 14. You can read that later when you get home. They, they overvalued this gift that is inside of them. So Paul is saying, even if you have all of these gifts— you're operating all these gifts. You pray for people on the street. You pray for people when they get healed. You speak in tongues really, really cool with a really cool language. It sounds like Farsi, you know. No matter what gifts you have, if you don't have love, it's worthless. So the spiritual gifts outside of love are worthless. Our education in multiple languages outside of love is worthless. And then he goes on to say, if I speak in the tongues of angels, what are the tongues of angels? <laughs> Anybody know what language angels speak? Anyone? Anyone want to take a guess? Hebrew. Angels speak Hebrew. That's my estimation. I believe, and I, I guess I could show you why I think that. Um, in Acts 26, 14, when Saul is confronted by an angel, it says, when they had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me. This was uh, an angel saying in the Hebrew language. So the angel was speaking Hebrew language. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I believe that Paul is saying here, um, even if I speak in the language of angels, which is Hebrew. And by the way, the Hebrew language is an amazing language. 
Every word traces back to a three-letter Hebraic word. Every, three, every letter in that three-letter word represents something on its own. So there is so much depth to the Hebrew language, you can read something, and it's never just surface level. It always goes much deeper than that. So what Paul is saying in saying, even if you speak the language of angels, he's saying, even if you are just so wise that you understand everything, the depths of communication like the angels, if you don't have love, you have nothing. Love is pretty important. Let's go ahead and carry on with verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Here in verse 4, we start to define love. I told you earlier that songs talk about quantity. Here's where we see quality. Here's where we get to see what love really is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Let's pause there for a moment. It says, where there are prophecies, where there are tongues, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. The question is, when will it pass away, right? What does it mean that will pass away? Has it already passed away? Well, we see when it will pass away in the following couple of verses. Verse 9 says, for we know in part... And we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When completeness, when perfection comes, the stuff that we know in part disappears. Okay, so prophecy, knowledge, and tongues are all things that give us a glimpse into the spiritual realm, but only a part. Those will cease when perfection comes comes. What is perfection? Perfection is Christ, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus returns, when you and I are living in our eternal state, then those things will cease. Because for now, we see in part, we prophesy in part, verse 10, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. I love this next verse. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. How many of you in the room and watching online will just go ahead and admit before your spouse nudges you that you just need to grow up a little bit? Anybody? <laughs> I love the, the four-year-old raising their hand. You've got time. You've got time. <laughs> Uh, he's saying, when I was a child, I talked like a child. Of course, that's reasonable. It's reasonable for children to do childish things, right? It's reasonable for kids to be kids. 
that, that means sometimes they're not going to do everything right. Sometimes they're not going to follow directions. Sometimes they're not going to complete what you ask them. That's they're being a kid. Kids, kids are kids. But there comes a time when a kid needs to become a man or a kid needs to become a woman. There comes a time when that the child needs to put aside childish things, right? The, the apostle Paul is telling us here, um, that we got to stop acting like kids. If we, if we want to walk in love, it reco- requires being mature. It really does. I mean, I, I love more than anybody else, probably just like you, I suppose. But, I, you know, I look at my dad, and he's holding my niece, his granddaughter, and she's cuddled up to him. Uh, I guess she's got a sucker there. Um, but children know how to just like love, you know what I mean? Like, mommy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. Grandpa, I love you. Grandma, I love you. And I just love kind of that innocence. But the reality is it's a very immature love. Like they love everyone and that's great, but it is kind of selfish. Like I love you as long as I've got my sucker and you don't want my sucker, right? I'm your friend as long as you play the game I want to play. I'm your friend... You, you can fill in the blank because we've all, we've all seen that kind of love where we're the best of friends until some really small thing happens and then we're enemies till death, you know? That's what children do in regards to love. And, and Paul is saying if we want to walk in love, we got to grow up. We, we have to grow up. I love what he says. I'll take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul talking to The same group of people, the Corinthians, he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. In other words, I can't even have a conversation with you like you're a born-again believer, follower of Jesus, spirit-filled person, because you're so carnal. Is this settling? You hearing what I'm saying? Paul says, I can't even speak to you as to spiritual people, But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able to receive it, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal in behaving like mere men? Paul is saying something very profound here. He's saying all of this argument... All of this division, all of this name, finger pointing, name calling, bashing, whatever it is that you're doing, I can't even speak to you like a spiritual person right now. We we can't even move into the area of functioning in love. You got to grow up. This this like slinging milk everywhere is ridiculous. I'm tired of picking up your, your mac and cheese and your smashed peas. He's like, we, we got to be able to communicate. We got to be able to have conversation together about deep, meaningful things. And you know what? If you disagree with me, let's talk about it. Don't, don't bash me on social media. Don't send mass emails. I, he- I heard this. I don't have time. I don't have time. There, there is a, a great revivalist. Um, pre, pre-internet, he um, built a great ministry. The Lord used him, and his number two person betrayed him. Um, 
she, she was like the administrator, and she took all of the home addresses of his followers. He traveled the world. She left. He had no way of accessing the addresses. She continued the newsletter on his behalf and continued to receive funds, just changed the stuff, and his ministry died. I mean, we, we think it's bad now with social media, but it's always been bad. There's always been people out there wanting to create division and to create strife. And I'm here to let us know today that's just not love. It's not. I, I don't care the, the, the plight that you carry. I don't care the, the justice that you think you have to write. I don't, I don't really care if we're, not, if we're not walking in love responsibly. We're not walking in love. 1 Corinthians, let me just get back to Scripture. Verse 12 through 13, For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There's coming a day, church, where what we think to be true, we're really going to see. What we think to be reality, we're going to see with the blinders off. We're going to see with the sunglasses off. We're going to see with such clarity and such perfection. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Right. Let's, let's define greatest. Greatest doesn't mean more important. Love is not more important than faith. It's not more important than hope. If you were to go to the Greek to uncover this word greatest, it means elder. It's like the elder brother. Love is the elder brother of faith and hope. That means love came before faith. It came before hope, and it will remain long after faith and long after hope. It's a wide net. It, it's, it's far-reaching. It stretches. It extends. You see, faith, there's coming a day you won't need faith. Once you have eyes to behold and see in full what now you only see in part, you won't need faith. Seeing will be believing you won't need hope. When you get to heaven, you won't need hope. In fact, we already know what is our hope. It's the appearing of Jesus Christ. Once he appears, once he receives the church into himself, there will no longer be need of any hope. He will have come. But love is the greatest of these. I'm over time, so I'm I just want to give you a preview of next week because I'm going to ask you to uh, be here next week. We're going to touch on the final section of books in the Bible. It's called the apocalyptic literature. Please don't run because you're afraid. It's going to be a great, great sermon. And I just have to end with this because um, I don't actually know when Jesus is coming back. And so... Um, just in case I can't preach this sermon next week, I, 
I want to give you a highlight of what it's going to be about. Can you, can you imagine what the people felt in Jerusalem when the Messiah came? I mean, even back up like to Bethlehem when Jesus was born and the Bethlehem star, which by the way, we're going to see again the Bethlehem star this December, December 21st. Last time it's happened has been 800 years. No big deal. Can you imagine, though, what, what the people felt, the, the wise men, as they saw the star and they followed it to Jesus? I mean, you do understand for hundreds of years it had been prophesied that the Messiah was coming. Yeah? And so this baby is born, and he grows up to be a young man, then begins preaching in the temple. Then there comes a point in his adult life where it, it officially kicks off, and he is... He is sent, like an apostle, he is sent to begin his ministry. I was watching this movie called The Chosen. It's free, you can uh, download it. It's like a series, and in one of the episodes, I really highly recommend it. It's the best biblical movie I've ever seen. The acting is great. The storyline, there's some creative details in there, uh, but it's absolutely phenomenal. The Chosen, I would look it up. I was watching one of these episodes, and it's when Peter found out that Jesus, the Messiah, had come. And Peter runs back to his home, and his wife is there, and he says, the Messiah is here, the Messiah is here. And you just see, like, the stories of the generations that had been told in anticipation of the Messiah were gushing out of the heart of Peter, right? And his wife said something that kind of shocked me. She said, you must go. You must go. You must follow him. And she, she was like demanding that Peter leave the home and go and be his disciple. And this is what we've all been waiting for. And I just, I kind of get chills when I think about what it was like then when it just clicked. The Messiah is here. And then to fast forward that to the year 2020, and for so many people to not realize that we are the generation that will see the return of Jesus Christ. It's called the rapture. I mean, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that he died on a cross. We believe that he rose uh, on day three. There's, there's another part of that story that has yet to be fulfilled. And that's the return of Jesus Christ on the cloud with the shout of the archangel and the blowing of a trumpet. And, and those of us who are in Jesus, have placed our faith in him, will be instantly changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 tells us that in the twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed. We know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, that the dead in Christ will rise and then we will be caught up with them in the air. Guys, I'm here to tell you it's coming soon. This is not just another generation proclaiming of a future prophetic event. We are the generation. We are the generation that will see Jesus return again. And it will catch the world by surprise. It will be like a thief in the night, the word says, but not so to you. Not to the children of the light who are watching and waiting for his return. 
Jesus actually described the period of time just before the second coming. In Matthew 24, verses 33, it says, when we see these things begin, we know that he is near at the doors. And, And listen, just to tell you how close we are, Jesus says there are a number of things that we will see in the final, final days. We'll see wars and rumors of wars. I think that's a check. We'll see pestilence. Could be translated pandemic. Check. We will see nation against nation, which in the Greek translated, no, yes, Greek translated is Ethnos versus ethnos. Ethnicity versus ethnicity. We, we've seen a, a bit of that, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Once the church is gone, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, that which keeps the lawless one at bay is removed, you're going to see it crescendo to an alarming rate. Ethnos against ethnos. We're already seeing the shadow of that. Jesus then goes on to say it will be kingdom against kingdom in those final days. I looked up because I just wanted to make sure what kingdom against kingdom was. I had just, every time I read it, just read it as something very generic. King, my kingdom against your kingdom. But the translation of that is foundation of power against foundation of power. And if that doesn't speak to 2020 elections, I don't know what does. If we don't see now on a global scale These nations vying for power, vying for the top dog position, vying for the platform of power, kingdom against kingdom. Then famines, the Bible says famines. Oh, and by the way, the United Nations World Food Program warns that 2021 could have famines of biblical proportions because of the fires, because of the derecho in the Midwest, because of the flooding in China. Famine is right around the corner. Also, earthquakes, Jesus says. We know uh, from the USGS there are three times more earthquakes now than on average. The earth is groaning for the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming soon, and I want to talk about that more next week. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the love that has already been established in the hearts of your people. God, we know what love looks like. We know that it's not easily angered. We, we know that it's one that suffers long. It is long-suffering. It is patient. It is kind. God, we know that love speaks up for truth. We know that love speaks up for justice. We know, God, that love builds your kingdom. God, we know that with love comes joy and peace. So God, I ask that you would help us in the coming days and weeks. If we have embraced or adopted adopted any faulty definition of love, Lord, will you just give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say about love? God, for those of us in the room, that have never really truly met love. (laughs) And we know that love has a name and his name is Jesus. For God doesn't have love, God is love. For those that are in the room that have not yet met Jesus, 
we just place our hand over our heart right now. We're ready to make that decision. We're ready to say yes to you. We're ready to come home. We're ready for this work of love to begin to stir in our heart, in our spirit, in our souls. And God, we know that to be a follower of Jesus, to be found faithful in the faith, is simply to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, to believe, as Scripture says, that Jesus rose again on the third day. When we believe that and we repent of our sin, we confess that we can't lead our own life. We need you, God. And we confess you to be Lord of our life. And when we do that, the Bible says that we are saved. We are saved. God, I thank you for this moment of rebirthing love in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen. Will you please stand to your feet this morning? All right. So next week, Sunday, 10.30 a.m., we're going to talk about the apocalyptic books. Until then, I'm just believing that you are going to be highly favored, completely blessed. God is wanting to surprise you this week. Oh, and by the way, God is wanting to challenge you in love. So when you are faced with someone that seems so unlovable, I dare you to stretch a little this week. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.